0: I haven't read that okay yes wait, wait, i've go. heard about it but i haven't Bye, read it i sarah i've heard her hill. during podcasts sarah hill right yeah sarah hill
1: okay mm-hmm. it's like such a great story Aaron. so <laughs> basically they were like are men naturally attracted to women when they're ovulating? Because is there some pheromone thing that's happening that we can't see or measure or sense, you know? And so yeah. they they did this experiment in a strip club. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is a great experiment. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: They did this experiment in a strip club and basically, you know, they wanted to see how much more money the strippers made. Um And it's been a while since I I read this, Um, you know, depending on whether or not A, they were on the pill or B, they were not on the pill and near ovulation or if they were, you know, actually menstruating at the time.
0: You're listening to Autobiology, the podcast where you can learn a little biology now so you can think for yourself later introducing your host who dreams of being on an episode of star trek as the quirky biologist who saves the day jennifer little fleck
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Autobiology, the podcast with me, your host, Jennifer Little Littlefleck. And today I have with me uh, Dr. Jen Haley, who is a dermatologist and just an all-around absolutely fabulous person. Um, if you're familiar with my podcast, you know that Dr. Jen has been on a couple of times. And today we're focusing our discussion on hormone changes throughout, you know, a woman's lifetime and, you know, how that can impact you from early puberty and and all the way through being in your 70s and how that impacts, you know, sexual function and just all kinds of good stuff. Jen, could you please uh, introduce yourself to those members of my audience who maybe have not um, listened to you before?
0: Sure, sure. We always cover great topics. So I'm a board-certified dermatologist and My interest has always um, been in sort of the holistic, integrative side of things. I trained in nutrition at Cornell University undergrad, and although everything I learned back in the 80s was wrong, (laughs) we don't believe in it necessarily anymore, uh, it's still where my interest has always lied in addition to fitness and and just doing what you can. um, I I guess I've been kind of what we call a biohacker before there was ever biohackers. You know, I think there's a certain a certain subgroup of people that are kind of intuitive with their body and always are trying to find the latest and greatest best thing to enhance the health of your body, um, utilizing nature for the most part. So that's, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, uh, studying how the body works and what we can do to enhance the body to naturally be its best self.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, um, one of the things that, you know, I am curious about because, um, as you are familiar, I, um, am working on a graphic novel for young girls that talks about, you know, basically teaching them about, um, how their body works, how, how the female body works. And, um, you know, throughout this process, I have been asking different women what their experience was like learning about their body. Like, you know, did, did their mom, you know, teach them about you know how their body worked or what to expect um when they went through puberty what what was that experience like for you <laughs> i love that <laughs> um,
0: i had a very open mother um
1: oh i so. love it cuz like <laughs> most of them, the answers i've gotten have not been great i got to be honest with you it's been it's been pretty um heartbreaking so i'd love to hear yours
0: Yeah, very, very open. And all I recall are these snippets, you know, of usually being stuck in the car, right? Because we we know that that's the best time to talk to kids, right? When they're stuck in the car and they can't run away. I do remember her giving me the book, Our Bodies, Ourselves. You know, she just kind of put it in my room and said, Hey, if you have anything you want to talk about. And I was like, I'm not reading that, you know, and then I'd kind of peek in there and look and be curious and things like that. And I remember her saying a few things like one, Sex can be the most beautiful or the ugliest thing in the world. She told me that. And that always stuck in my head. And then I remember my grandmother saying, when I got my period saying to my mom, she's not sticking anything up her. (laughs) So just, you know, it's just kind of different, different, um, generational perspectives. But, um, yeah, my mom was always free at talking about things. I think I kind of was grateful that she talked about them, although, I wasn't really comfortable asking her because that was just my personality, you know, and I find the same with my kids. Um, I have two boys and one one of my sons asked me when he was eight, we were in the grocery line and he pointed to the woman's cart in front of us and he said, mom, are those condoms? I'm thinking, oh. how does he even know what a condom is? He's eight wow. years old. Right. Yeah. So, but I didn't, I don't shut him up because as a doctor, I'm very, very comfortable talking about the human body, not necessarily from a sexual perspective, but more from a physiological anatomical, just it's facts. It's just like your exactly. eyes are your eyes, your genitals are your genitals. And this is how the body works, mm-hmm. you know? So I said, oh, I'll tell you in a few minutes, honey. So we checked out and I said, Hey, why did you think those were condoms? And he said, oh, it's set on the box. Good for 10 hours. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I said, "Oh, well, uh, honey, that's a lot of sex. People usually don't have sex for 10 hours." And then I explained that they were feminine pads, you oh, know, okay, There was okay. some sort of a feminine thing and I explained to him how their menstrual cycle works and basically what I said, I said every month a woman forms a little cushion. It's like a little like um a mattress inside of her uterus, like a cushion in her uterus to form a baby. And then if their baby isn't made every month, then the cushion comes out and it looks like blood, but it's not painful. Usually, usually yeah. said it's not usually painful. It's not scary. It's just the body saying, Oh, no baby this month. Let's get ready. Let's get rid of the, the little bed where the baby was going to lie. You know? And, um, and I, and I said, that's what those are for to collect the blood. So it doesn't drip down her legs when she's at work and, you know, doing her stuff. And, um, then I explained what condoms were. Right, right. <laughs> and he just, he listened. I could tell he was interested. But then afterwards, he just said, I don't know why I asked these questions. Yet he mm. continues to ask questions, you know, well into their 15 and 16 years. He asked me, like, how, how an abortion works during the election when there were ads on YouTube. And, oh you know, they, yeah, they asked me all sorts of things. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's awesome. I love it. Well, I think that's a, a you give your son a better talk than most women give girls, you know, when it comes to trying to explain the menstrual cycle. Uh so that's pretty uh that's really impressive, Jen. Right? I know, and it's scary.
0: Like a few years ago I went to um a school, uh, an underprivileged school in Phoenix, one of my neighbors was a principal and she said, I, I need help at this charter school. Can you teach sex ed? I said, I'm a dermatologist, but sure I can. <laughs> and I went there. Well, it was interesting because a lot of these children didn't have mothers or fathers mothers in the house or grandmothers. They live with maybe their uncle. Mm. So they would wake up one day and be bleeding and yeah. they had no idea what was happening to their bodies. So I love that you're writing a book talking about this because, why shouldn't we know what's going on with our bodies? Why shouldn't we?
1: Yeah, I I agree. And that's why I I wrote the book. And I I recognize that a lot of women are very uncomfortable having this conversation with their kids because no one ever had it with them. And that's been the overwhelming mm -hmm. response that I've gotten. But the other thing is, is that to your point, a lot of girls live with single single dads, um, you know, family other family members who you know may forget that aspect of you know educating them. And so I thought, you know, I have I have a well, actually today is my daughter's ninth birthday, so hey. <laughs> I keep sa- I know I keep saying, well, I have an eight year old who started puberty this year, but <laughs> um, she's now nine. <clears throat> um, but you know, I thought. God, you know, I write about this stuff for a living and I'm here wondering, okay, how exactly should I approach this with her so that, you know, not only does she get it, but if she has questions in the future, how can she feel comfortable asking me? And I, and I, you know, I realized that like, she's super into graphic novels and I was like, oh, that's what I, that's what I need to do. So it's a story. It's about, you know, four friends, um, in the third grade who just, you know, they hear snippets just like your son asked you this rando question, you know, in the, in the grocery store and and they start talking amongst themselves and, and, um, you know, one girl is in a very open family, just like you were. And, uh, you know, so she becomes sort of the investigator that Mm -hmm. eventually, um, the parents kind of loop each other in. And it's, it's a, it's a great way to introduce parents to how to communicate as well. Right. And it teaches kids to communicate with their parents. Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like, um, as I hear you talking, I'm thinking,
0: A lot of people, like for me, it's the timing, like when is the timing right? What age? And obviously that's going to be different from person to person and family to family, but it seems like when they're younger, before they hit the teen, teen years, they're more receptive to that curiosity and that innocence of asking questions. And then when they're in the teens, they're going through that phase where, you know, independence versus, or, you know, they struggle with the, with the parents, like depending on them versus trying to seek their autonomy. And I think they're less likely to listen. So it's almost like it's better to learn it before it even happens to you than at the time. And you set that foundation of of the openness and like, oh yeah, that's just your body. Yeah. Like, why, why be embarrassed of it? Like, especially for women, they shouldn't be embarrassed over any of that stuff. Like I love getting my period. It's detoxifying. It's, I love it. It's like a purge.
1: (laughs) It is. And I I'm completely with you that we need to maintain a cycle. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that discussion in a minute, but, um, you know, Jen, you're exactly right. And I think one of the things that I was kind of shocked about when I started researching was, was that, um, you know, we call, we go through this initial, um, period called um, Andronarch, which is actually before puberty begins. And it's usually around in the United States. And all of my numbers are, are U.S. based because um, this does differ by geographic region around the world. Um, but Andronarch starts around second grade when, you know, your your kids are going from age six to seven is when all these hormones wow. just begin. And, you know, it's funny because um, one of the researchers was basically like, you know, this is the reason that your super pleasant seven-year-old suddenly like turns into a monster out of nowhere. And you're like, what happened to my sweet baby? You know, and, right? and it's, yeah. it's this. And, you know, you know, I, I think people would be kind of surprised to learn that it really starts that early. And then, um, you know, and then when you're, you know, eight and third grade is, is really when, you know, the obvious physical signs start to sh- start to show. It's and definitely younger. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's younger than I thought. And, you know, I got to be honest with you. Like I was surprised uh, when, when I, you know, I, I asked my daughter, <laughs> I was like, you know, do you see any, you know, little little dark hairs you know growing in your privates and she's like yeah i have three and i'm like
0: <laughs> oh, okay you know because
1: i'm trying to you know she's she's in that modest phase and i'm trying to be respectful not like staring at her why she's naked you know and, <laughs> so you know because this is you know because you're you remember that phase where you're suddenly I like do. aware and you're like holy crap i don't want anybody looking at me naked you know and um and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, let's, you know." And then, uh, and then I had her, you know, read my first draft of my book. And um, you know, Jen, I have to say, the moment that I knew I was doing the right thing was when she came to me about a week later, and was was asking me, "Hey, because um, I talk about yellowberry bras in my book, which are like, um,
0: oh yeah, what are those?
1: Yeah, so it's a company that a girl in high school started." Um, I want to say six or seven years ago um, because she was bra shopping for, it's either her friend or her, her younger sister and they couldn't find anything age appropriate. And she was like, yeah, yeah. And she was like, there has to be something. And, and at the time there was really nothing. So she, in her house made a prototype and started just making first bras for girls that were age appropriate, comfortable, no wires or no anything like wires, that. No wires. You know, I don't like those
0: like wires. They cut off lymphatics, and there's some links to a breast cancer because of that. Oh, I'm very anti wire so that's beautiful. If they can get used to wearing something like that at a young age,
1: yeah, I think so. And 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 so she asked me, you know, if, if she could get one of those yellowberry bras, and I was like, oh my god, she like came proactively and talked to me, and then we had all kinds of conversations after that. So I was, I was like, okay, my book works. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but anyway. But yeah, so it starts at this early age and, and, you know, and then you have the the timing from the time, from when the onset starts, where you see, you know, the pubic hair growing, you see the breast buds. It's a- around two years from that point where they begin to actually menstruate. So okay.
0: Is that pretty standard Is two it's, years? It's
1: like very, very standard. It's, it's a weird, almost on the dot kind of a thing. So okay. that's do you, how you can do kind you of measure so you
0: mentioned, uh, this, this occurring this way in, you know, in this, uh, chronology or this, um, timeline in the United States, what about internationally? And do you find it linked more to the environment that we're, we're going lower in age rather than, you know, I think when I grew up, it was closer to 13, 12, 13 yeah. before we started to see, you know, menarche.
1: Yeah. So what's interesting is it varies drastically around the world um and honestly they when i say they you know medical researchers who study this you know for a living um really have been perplexed on a couple of things which is a why does it you know, differ so drastically around the world. And there have been a number of theories over, over the years. And once they feel like they, they've settled on a theory and it's been proven for a good, you know, decade long, you know, it's had a good decade long run. All of a sudden it flip flops and it becomes exactly the opposite. So, you know, yes. And so, you know, they, they discuss how it's still one of the top 25 medical questions of all time, which is what makes and not just girls, but boys. What makes them start puberty? They really do not know. I mean, it's it's just some innate biological clock. Some of it, they're pretty sure, it has to do with genetics, but they think that um, sufficient food stores have a lot to do with it as well. Mm-hmm. Which which makes sense, right? Because we all know that um, you know if our if our body fat falls too low, then then we stop you know menstruation altogether. So that absolutely makes sense to me. And when you think about how our diet has changed, how nowadays we're we're more fully embracing of high fat diets, especially for kids, you know, the good kind mm-hmm. of fat, you know, that says to me that the body is saying, "Hey, you know what? I I feel like I got a good supply of a fatty diet, which is what I want for procreation to to make a baby, you know, and um, so I'm ready. I'm going to start earlier, you know, because because right. I got all I need, so. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It
0: makes, it makes great sense, you know, and then kind of wonder about the xenoestrogens and the, you know, the hormones in our food and things like that, you know, yeah. whether that comes into play or not. So
1: I'm, I'm guessing that it does, but you know, gosh, you know, there's just so much we don't know.
0: Right. Either way it's happening.
1: Either way it's happening and you need to talk to your kids <laughs> early. <laughs> That's my whole exactly. point. That's exactly. All right. All right. So, um, but yeah. And then, um, You know, just my whole other thing, which I'm going to, which I love that you said about maintaining a cycle is actually teaching girls once they start menstruate how to track their cycle from day one. Because I feel like we really have gotten away from that because we just stick kids on birth control at such a young age and we, you know, if they get a period at all. Um, It's, it's minuscule. It's not really driven by a woman's natural cycle. And then, um, you know, there's all the effects of progestin versus natural progesterone, which are, which are different on the body and the body handles them differently. You Mm -hmm. know, And so, you know, I just think that people need to spend a little time teaching girls how to track their cycle to understand what's normal for them before they start down this road of, um, you know, birth control and all that kind of stuff.
0: And what do you usually recommend for tracking?
1: Well, the you know, it's so much easier now than it used to be. I mean, I, you know, especially with things like, you know, the Aura Ring which, you know, Aura Ring 3.0 came out uh, like this week, I think actually. Um I
0: haven't used it yet. You know, I've thought about it, but I get really competitive with myself and I if I have a low, you know, if my HRV goes low, I'll just, I know I'll have a bad day because of it. You know what I mean? I'll be like, oh, I must be tired or I must've gotten bad sleep because it says I got bad sleep, even if I feel okay, you know? So, but I think I'm at the point where I really do want to know this information because it's just so good and it's so usable. And with the CGM, I, I got a wealth of information. I put that on about once a quarter, you know, and I get a ton of information from that. So. Yeah.
1: And for those of you who don't know what she's talking about, a continuous glucose monitor, which in my opinion is one, is one of the best inventions ever to teach it you really about is. how your body um, processes food, what you need, what what how things affect you. Um, Mm -hmm. what's your, you know, you know, I think the last time that we talked about continuous glucose monitors, I hadn't done it yet. And you were telling me that your biggest surprise was sushi, right?
0: Yes, I know. And yesterday I had some and I ended up doing sashimi. So rice destroys me. I mean, if I have rice, my blood glucose will jump up. You know, you want to stay around 80, maybe up to 110 right after you have a meal. And I'll go into like the high two hundreds after I have, uh, rice. So rice is really, really awful for me. Even if I, you know, have a little avocado or some fat and some protein with it and not just plain rice. So I have to try to avoid rice. I don't always avoid it. I probably still have it once a week, but I minimize how much I have, but even a quarter cup. So rice, um, oats for sure. So, um, and what else? Sweet potatoes, you know, those are, and I think levels who is, you know, trying to make it accessible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause I, I just do the prescription for the Abbott Freestyle Libre and it's really simple. I mean, it's, it's like a stamp and you put it in your arm and it sits there for two weeks and you can scan your blood sugar on your phone throughout the day. So those three things are the most shocking. They were very shocking for me. And surprisingly, like when I have my bulletproof coffee in the morning and I add collagen, it raises it a little bit. And I don't know if it raises it because of the collagen or because of the cortisol push from the caffeine.
1: Hmm. But
0: I do get a little bit of a bump. I mean, in the nineties, you know, but I'm not clearly fasting, you know?
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, for me, <laughs> the, the big shock was that, um, you know, I am a salty person. So I love salty foods and my, and I, I forget to eat all the time I, I just get so busy i forget to eat and so i have i these... don't understand people who forget to eat i do i, do I forget, forget, I forget. To eat <laughs> <laughs> and um so i would have the this bag of cauliflower pretzels that i would keep in my office for when yep. i had the sudden massive like drop in glucose where i was like passing out and that is the first thing i ate when i had on my um monitor and i immediately spiked like 180 and I was like, I wish- no, 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 this is like, it was like my mainstay food and it was clearly not agreeing with me and and I tested it several times and every single time i, yeah. I was well, I was like 180 200 so i i, I eat know anymore. exactly
0: what you're talking about I, I eat those pretzels too especially like after I mountain bike or do something where I'm sweating and 180 was my number as well surprisingly oh, okay. enough yeah and I think it came down pretty quickly but you know it depends on what you eat it with and um, it
1: does
0: yeah and any any sort of chip I mean any sort of chip or flour just really
1: escalates it so um and, and the reason it, why this is significant we sh- you know we, we should mention this is because you know this um directly affects you know how your body re- responds you know with with insulin and insulin is a hormone and insulin affects all the other hormones in your body so if you um if your body is pumping out all this insulin and your and your body becomes insulin resistant you know, it's, it's a cascade of events of hormonal events that, Mm -hmm. that affects everything. Um, so that's why, you know, I, that's why I, you know, I think it's really important to pay attention to it, but
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a few reasons also, you know, when it talking about teens and even acne is, uh, acne has been linked highly to high glycemic loads and having high glucose levels in the blood. So, often I'll tell these, you know, my patients to avoid processed foods and high sugar foods and and dairy as well. And I don't know if it's, you know, necessarily the, uh, dairy itself. We know that's inflammatory. Okay. hi, Sorry. (laughs) Um, we know it's inflammatory, but also it, it pushes out IGF insulin, like Mm. growth hormone, which causes this whole cascade that you're talking about. And, um, basically causes a lot of inflammation, high glucose levels in the, in the blood, which, um, worsen acne. But then for those of us that are listening that have children, we may or may not have acne, but what we don't want is wrinkles. So the high glucose in the blood also forms, um, AGEs, which sounds like it is, it causes aging, Mm -hmm. but it stands for advanced glycation end products. And basically the sugar binds to protein And our collagen is made of protein. Our blood vessel walls are made of protein. The blood vessel walls that stimulate nerves are made of protein. And that's why, you know, looking at the extreme of people who are diabetic that have uncontrolled glucose levels, we see that they may need to be amputated because their nerves don't work. Their skin looks very sallow and very unhealthy and doesn't have the bounce back, you know, but this happens at a low level in all of us when our blood sugar levels are continuously high. So we want to have them, you know, as regular as possible. Like I love when I'm between 80 and 110 all day long. I know I'm doing well. And for me, that consists of having vegetables and higher protein and higher fat and really avoiding carbs and that's my genetics. Some people can do well with other carbs. I I personally can't. If I was overweight, I would definitely be diabetic. I have that that propensity, that team propensity. Um so so that's why it's important to have to maintain your sugar levels. And the other thing I noticed, which a lot of us will often feel, and now that I've seen this on the continuous glucose monitor, I can feel it when it's happening without wearing that thing in my arm all the time is You know how when you eat a meal and because you're so hungry, and then you eat like the bag of cauliflower (laughs) pretzels, right? Because they're easy to put down there, maybe like four ounces or something. I I could eat the whole bag. I can eat a whole bag bag at once. Easy, easy. So the sugar goes up to 180, and then your insulin gets secreted by your pancreas to say, oh, we need to get that sugar out of the bloodstream and store it in your muscles, in your liver as glycogen, or when that's full, then it gets stored as fat. And at that point, it drops your blood glucose levels low, and that's why you're hungry an hour later. And it's an awful cycle where you're hungry, you eat something high carb, and then it drops low, and then you're hungry again, and you keep constantly eat, and you're on a roller coaster all day long, and you don't feel right. You know, So when you can correlate your feelings with these numbers, it makes a lot of sense on what's going to work for you.
1: Yeah, I had I had to replace my my cauliflower pretzels as my emergency office food. Um, so so now um, you know, and this may sound gross to some people, but I absolutely am obsessed with seaweed chips. So that's what I eat know because they're super salty, and I'm a saltaholic, yep. and um, they have they're a good source of iodine, which we're all massively deficient in, in my opinion.
0: I know. I you know I eat a lot of those too, and I oh. I just read something that they're high in some sort of a toxin.
1: Oh, of <laughs> course. Of ahead. course, I know. Yeah, so my I, bubble gin. I,
0: <laughs> I limit myself now to like two bags a week or something. Jesus, like what that.
1: are we supposed to eat? Time. <laughs> I, <know. laughs>
0: I know. We just have to rotate the toxins basically, I you know.
1: Know. <laughs> I know. I will say, um, before we get off the glucose monitor topic that, um, I can drink a glass of Chardonnay and eat a salad and I'm like, perfect. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Cause if I have wine, mine, mine drops into the fifties. Wow.
0: Like, yeah. Like if I have wine at night in the morning, I will have, um, you know, we often get headaches, but I'll look at my numbers and they'll be in the fifties. It just drops me.
1: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll preface that with, if I have that for lunch, I I don't, I don't drink um, wine. Anymore in the evenings because it screws up my uh HRV. Your
0: sleep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But um so for people to know, you're like, oh good. Well, wine will
0: lower my blood sugar level. Not necessarily for you, but for me. Yeah. But what happens is is because it's low, then you're like, I'm hungry. And then that's why you drink, you eat yeah. more food, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh I just had a thought and I can't remember what I was gonna say, but oh, oh well. Oh you keep mentioning for me, for me, you know, and I think that's really an important point that I, I want to talk about when it comes to hormones, because, uh, I think that most people don't realize that just because you're a woman doesn't necessarily mean that you are estrogen dominant. Um, and necessarily for a man, meaning that he is like, you know, androgen dominant and, you know, high testosterone all the time. Um, you can be a woman and be a perfectly functioning woman and be androgen dominant. It, yeah. I,
0: I have been most of my life. I think a lot of times that presents as PCOS.
1: Yes. So, mm-hmm. um, so when we talk about, you know, women and hormones, it is, in my opinion, it is just so important for you to understand your your chemical pathways, how your body presents. You know, and I don't know traditionally how, you know, if, if that type of testing has been done or recommended. But I do know that a lot of the um, more sophisticated DNA tests now are looking at that and letting people know, you know, are they estrogen dominant? Are they androgen dominant? How how quickly do they convert testosterone into estrogen, mm-hmm. or vice, you know, or how how much um, of that conversion you know is blocked? You know, if you're 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 you know a a male, let's say you know.
0: But then, what do we do with that information? Because for me, it's the practical application that matters the most. So, I mean, I like testing. I like knowing this information. I'm just not a huge. I'm not huge on that because I think like you said it it comes back to the intuitively knowing yourself and when it comes to um that's why diets don't really work because for everyone it's very different and it took me a long time I mean I struggled and, you know, in my twenties where it was like, oh, low fat, low fat. And I just couldn't, I was hungry all the time. And my weight was like fine, but I was hungry all the time. Right. Whereas now I'm hardly ever hungry. And I just, I know what works for me. People will say, you're eating a whole avocado. Yeah. Because I could do avocado and eggs and I feel really, really good for many, many hours. But if I have something with high carbs in the morning, an hour later, I'm starving and I don't have good energy. So that works for me. And I think it's imperative, you know, if you have the testing done and you know, it works for you. I have a friend who's a functional medicine doctor who does genetic testing on best diets for different people based on, you know, your, your genetic profile. And maybe because I'm part Irish and my family, you know, the whole potato famine, maybe, I don't know. You just don't know. There's all these (laughs) things that make, that make your body like store carbs a little bit more readily, but You have to work what's best for you. And it may be different from your friends. And I think if you don't get anything out of this, besides that, that's the most important is listening to your body because we intuitively know what's right for us. So looking externally doesn't always serve us well.
1: I I agree. However, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example. I heard this story at the biohacking conference I went to in Orlando, talked with the CEO of the DNA company. Are you familiar with them?
0: I've heard of them. Yeah, I haven't utilized them. You haven't.
1: Okay, so my test results are coming back any day now. So I'm like, I'm very, very excited about this. But he told this incredible story, and and he told like probably seven incredible stories like this. But mm-hmm. this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Um, and he told one for women as well as men. But I think it's a, um, I th- I think it's more shocking, you know, for to hear in men, which was, you know, there was this star hockey player from South America that um, was, you know, transferred to a a hockey team here in the U.S. and in Texas, right? And so he was playing there really, really well and, you know, just young rising star and um, he was just killing it. So this Canadian hockey team um, was watching him because he was still um, minor league, I think at this point. And so it was, it was a, you know, a pro team in Canada was looking at him to be basically their new, like, you know, big, big attraction. I mean, and this kid was just killing it. And so they brought him up to Canada and within a month or so, the the kid couldn't perform. He, he couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. He was uh, lethargic. He couldn't, he didn't have that get up and go in the morning anymore. And, and he noticed social things too. Like, um, he couldn't keep up with his friends. Like when it was like guys night out drinking and stuff, he just, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. He, he, and and then he just really wasn't bringing it at practice. And so the team physician was, um, basically just saying, Oh, you got low T, you got low T, low testosterone and was slapping all these like androgel patches, Mm. patches on. And it got worse. And worse and worse. And so they finally called um, Cash over at the DNA company and was like, can you just do a diagnostic on this kid and see, like, is there something, you know, we're missing? And turns out that there was two things going on with this kid. A, he was from South America, and with his ethnic background, he in Canada, he was not getting even close to the amount of sun that he needed to create vitamin D. Yeah. So that was one problem. And which is, you know, you identify that you correct it, you know, you supplement. But -hmm. the other thing that they learned was he was in fact estrogen dominant. And so what that means is basically any testosterone his body was making was being immediately converted into estrogen. So Mm -hmm. when those team doctors were just continuing to slap testosterone patches on him. They were making Mm -hmm. it worse with Mm -hmm. every patch. And of course, you know, their solution was just to keep adding patches, you know, and and what they realized through this testing was that, you know, obviously, do not do that and that he needed to take some type of supplement, which you can find at any, you know, GNC, what have you, um, that just blocks or hinders the conversion of testosterone to estrogen. So it was, you know, slows it down basically. And it was easily fixable, but, you know, unless you really pay attention to what's happening to somebody's body or you understand, you know, your specific biochemistry, you know, a lot of times you're just going to have like the one size fits all prescription, which is, Mm -hmm. oh, you have low T, let's, you know, let's stick a patch on you.
0: Yeah. As opposed to why do you have low T? Why tea? do you oh, have low Oh, because <laughs> you're estrogen dominant. Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really, really good to know. Yeah, I love the information, you know, and it's getting better and better. We have to know what to do with it, though.
1: I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right, Jen. So let's talk about some more fun stuff. Like, you know, there's all these myths out there that women don't like to have sex. <laughs> like after they have kids. And I think that that's really just not true. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of hormone changes that happen. Um, you know? Yeah. There's,
0: I mean, I think there, you, there's libido, there's desire and there's arousal. Right. So there's, there's three different components of why we want to have sex. Right. It's not just hormones. It's also keeping the spice in the relationship. And I think often right. that's, that's an issue. Yeah. Um, in long-term monogamous relationships is trying to keep it, um, a little exciting yet still secure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then hormones do change, right? They do change, but, um, it depends on what the problem is. Obviously if it's low estrogen, you're not going to lubricate, you know, as you hit menopause, that that's going to be an issue. So yeah. like, for example, libido is a result of your general health. So if you're a healthy human, you should have a strong libido if your libido has gone downhill and libido is your desire for, you know, any, anything sexual, not just necessarily your partner, right. Whether right. it's, and it, it is cyclical,
1: you know, I mean,
0: it is, of course it's cyclical because, you know, as we ovulate, if we're ovulating, which if you're on the pill, you're not going to be ovulating. So your libido may be down, but if you are naturally cycling, and you're ovulating, your libido is going to go up because from an evolutionary perspective, it should be highest during the time that you're most fertile, right? So that you can procreate and make more. But if your, your libido, um, if your libido drops and you have zero desire for even self-pleasure, then you have to take a look at your general health because that's how your libido is affected. And then desire, it comes more down to how emotionally do you feel about yourself and your partner? And that's where the spices. Right. And then the arousal is kind of more the physicality of what you're doing in the bedroom sort of thing. So. Yeah,
1: no, I agree. Um, you know, and I think what's so interesting is all of the <laughs> nonverbal cues that happen between a man and a woman, um, that people don't necessarily realize and that are affected by whether or not you're on the pill versus naturally cycling um there's this great um story in um a book i read actually i have it right here this is your brain on birth control
0: oh i haven't read that okay yes
1: wait, wait, wait,
0: i've go. heard about it but i haven't Bye read it i sarah i've heard hill. her during podcasts sarah hill right yeah sarah hill okay mm-hmm. it's
1: like such a great story Aaron. so <laughs> basically they were like are men naturally attracted to women when they're ovulating because is there some pheromone thing that's happening that we can't see or measure or sense, you know? And so yeah. they, they did this experiment in a strip club.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great experiment. Yeah, yeah,
1: They did this experiment in a strip club and basically, you know, they wanted to see how much more money the strippers made, um, and it's been a while since I I read this, Um you know, depending on whether or not A, they were on the pill or B, they were not on the pill and near ovulation or if they were, you know, actually menstruating at the time. And it went something like the women who were naturally psyching, cycling and ovulating made like 100% more money it was something it was something astronomical yeah like uh, then the women who were on the pill and the women who were naturally psyching, cycling but menstruating I think it was fell somewhere in the middle in between but it was like a massive extreme difference and then men were naturally attracted to women who were ovulating and they could, mm-hmm. pick, they could pick them out. They can, they couldn't tell you why they were attracted to these women, but it clearly was by, by the, by the tip money. you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: so I think, I think that's, um, it's just, just so interesting. Like I, you know, I'm very in tune with my body, so I can tell you exactly where I am based on how I feel and, and, um, you know, whether I'm, I'm, I'm kind of being kind of bitchy or <laughs> if I wake up and I'm like, Oh, it's go time, you know, cause you know, my, my happy times in the morning as soon as I wake up. So, mm-hmm. but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I can totally tell you that. And I, and I think that, you know, that's why it's so important to understand like how your cycle works. And, and like you said, the fact that you're a woman's health is so tied directly to her men- menstrual cycle. Um, Which is why, you know, I just I get so perplexed about why women think that not understanding their menstrual cycles is not a big deal, you know, because to me, that basically gives you like your first indication of how healthy are you really? Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. For sure um, also sort of like the, you know, the 0.7 ratio. So we pick apart our bodies and we think we need to be smaller and smaller and smaller. I don't know. Women always want to be smaller. Men want to be bigger. Right. And what really matters to men, as far as us being attractive is that 0.7 around 0.7 ratio of, of waist to hip ratio. So whether you look at like Twiggy from the 1960s, that really very skinny, uh, model, or you look, at a very, very heavy, attractive woman, as long as they have the waist to hip ratio of 0.7 around that point, they're considered attractive to just men. And because that ratio says that estrogen is at its, its proper amount for a woman to be very fertile. So we have these deeply ingrained, uh, attractive draws in, you know, male, female relationships to procreate when women are most fertile. And when you take birth control on a regular basis, it takes that away. Now, does she talk in the book about how that changes the type of man a woman will choose when she's on
1: birth control?
0: That's really fascinating to me.
1: It is a fascinating topic. I highly recommend anybody who's curious about this stuff reads it. And I actually... Hello, Glass Society. I had my whole salon where I, I go on a regular basis. They, I had them read that book and I had them read Beyond the Pill, Julian Brighton. Okay.
0: Okay. Haven't read that one either.
1: Um, <clears throat> you know, because they were all these, you know, cute young 30 somethings, you know, 29 somethings. And, you know, they're considering having families. We're just being generally more healthy because, you know, of the whole pandemic being bringing awareness to general health. They were, you know, very interested in hearing about the fact that, yes, the birth control pill absolutely changes who you pick as a mate, 100% to complete difference in logic. And the way that they discuss it in the book is that it's because progesterone is different from progestin. And we mentioned this earlier. And one of the things that progestin, which is a synthetic compound used in birth control, does not do which natural progesterone does is is bind to those receptors in the brain that basically make you feel happy, fulfilled, you know, they call progesterone the happy hormone for that reason. And when you're on birth control long term, you your body stops creating progesterone, stops making it. And so you never get that like full happy hormone feeling ever, especially if somebody, if you're, if you're on birth control for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, and it takes a while for your body to like start creating that again. But it, um, but the lack of progesterone, um, binding to receptors in the brain actually changes the neural pathways and it, it influences your decision-making on mates. Absolutely. So
0: what what did she say? We, what's the difference in how we choose mates when we're on birth control? (laughs) It's without um, using and you don't have to use the word beta okay. <laughs> <laughs> or you can i know some people hate the term beta male but
1: yeah no i'm how yeah. about
0: men who are not in their full masculinity
1: that is exactly right <laughs> that is what happens is is they th- those women ch- tend to choose mates that are not you know super masculine and uh so it's, it's so interesting you know looking at that long term over the last you know 10 15 years or so, just how, um, the preferences in you know, how men dress their clothing styles, how much they shave, you know, the whole like lumber sexual thing going on. Um, it just, it's just interesting how women's preferences are basically shaping, you know, how males present themselves. So, um, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Again, highly recommend reading the book. It explains a lot of things, um, that would make you go. Mm-hmm, I'm definitely
0: going to read that. Yeah. I, I'm really into the whole masculine energy, feminine energy thing. And we, we both have, we have both, right. Um, you know, feminine yes. energy is more receiving and masculine energy is more doing. So we do both, but like when it comes to the partnership, I like to be in more of my feminine energy and have the man be or more more the masculine energy. Obviously at work, we have more of our masculine energy going on. And I think that is sort of the dance of men and women that adds to that Desire, libido, arousal—thing yeah. we were talking about—is you know maximizing what we're supposed to be as humans, right?
1: Right. No, I, I. And the other thing that I will say is that they talk about how, literally, I—I I don't know. Like I'm just going to be completely transparent here. Personally, I can. I'm very self-aware, and I can say, man, there are some times when I remember being on birth control, and I would wake up and I'd be like, who the hell was that person yesterday? Because I did not even recognize myself. I was like, I was Mm -hmm. a crazy woman. I was like, why did I act that way? Why did I feel that way? And, you know, the, the book explains like, you know, literally birth control can make you crazy, you know, because it changes pathways, those, you know, chemical pathways in your brain significantly and that is why people have sometimes a hard time transitioning off of birth control pills and, and it's 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 rough for a little while which is why Dr. Jolene Brighton's book is um, so great for a lot of women because her whole book is how to transition and how to how to get back to good, normal, natural cycling health, especially if you're, Mm -hmm. if you're trying to have a baby. And unfortunately, most women had, you know, until they try to get pregnant, they have very little understanding, you know, of their hormones and cycles and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I mean,
0: as you pointed out, I think it's important for people to realize that hormones affect everything, whether it's your brain or your skin. And, you know, I, I like to talk to people about how your skin changes often as you cycle through every, you know, stage of your cycle, because what you're doing in the early part of your cycle, might need to be different from later Can in you your talk cycle. A little more because, yeah, sure. So. Um, when you look at your menstrual cycle, the first day is the first day of your period, you know, and it varies a lot between people. Um, I think 24 to 32 days is kind of the range. You probably know better than me. I, you know, I was taught 28 days, right. (laughs) But it, it varies and there's normal normalities. (laughs) What was that? Yeah. I'm like every 26 at noon. So (laughs) 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 it's pretty predictable. And the way I was asking you earlier, how you, um, how you record it or, or, or keep track of it. I just use the iPhone, like simple calendar. There's so many easy ways to do it, but, um,
1: yeah, there, but anyway, there is, i I'll just answer that real quick is, um, I like to keep a journal. I mean, I track on my phone using, um, oh, the, the original Fitbit app in my opinion yeah. is the most, their algorithm is the most reliable, you know, wow. but I also, um, I keep track, I keep a journal because I like to write in exactly how I'm feeling that day. Um, again, because, um, I'm trying to track my emotions as as well and see how they correlate, you know, which, and they totally do. And I know that from keeping track of them. So anyway, I do.
0: I think it's so important to do that rather than, you know, spitting out your emotions on other people. It's good to just write it down and sit with it. Like Mm -hmm. I always say, sit on your throne quietly rather than throwing it out at other people, because like, Certain times of the month, you know, we we talked about how the hormones affect your brain and they just do (laughs)
1: write the email, but don't hit send.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Or the text. Um, Okay. So for day one is, you know, you the first day of your period. And at that point, your estrogen and your progesterone drop, they pretty much tank. So your skin tends to be kind of dry, um, and maybe a little bit more irritated and prone to flaking and things like that. So I usually have people add a little bit of more moisturizer at the time. I like either hyaluronic acid or jojoba oil, both of those are are really wonderful or anything with ceramides. You know, if you're um, acne prone, all of those are gonna be fine. So if you find your skin to be a little bit dry or flaky or irritated in the first part of your cycle, that's usually what I'll have people do. And then you hit the follicular phase. So as your period ends, the body starts making more estrogen. And this is when we're kind of in our happy time and we're social and we can do longer intermittent, like longer time restricted eating fasts and feel pretty good. Um, And the body's producing more estrogen. So if you have, you know, any social events or presentations or you're a stripper. You'll make more. You know, I'm just kidding. You, you <laughs> definitely you want to start scheduling these things. You know, after that first, you know, this happens. The follicular phase is after your period ends, so your estrogen boosts collagen production, boosts as well, and your skin gets more hydrated and it gets kind of more supple and glowing at this point. So it, you just look and feel really at your best. Um, and it's also a good time to lift heavier weights at the gym. So I I believe in weightlifting and. I'll go from my normal 12 to 15 reps down to like eight to 10 reps, just to kind of push the weights at this point. And, um, during the follicular phase, and then you have ovulation. We talked about ovulation when your body drops the egg and you're fertile and it's, this is really variable. So some women still glow depending on the balance of their hormones. Mm-hmm. And it just depends on your, your own balance and other people may be more prone to breakouts. And the type of breakouts I see are like the hormonal breakouts around the jaw. The really deep ones don't pick them. Nothing's going to come out because they're hormonal and they're deep. Um, there are different treatments that we can do for this. Uh, from an internal perspective, I treat a lot of it on um, the dermatologist on call platform where I do telemedicine. And um, the skin is often more oilier at this time as well. So if you find that you're more prone to pimples or you're oilier, it's a great, great time to start exfoliating. So uh, salicylic acid, um, salicylic acids or enzyme uh, and different like papaya enzymes or different enzyme exfoliators. It's a great time to kind of lift off the dead skin cells before you start getting dry, you know, later in the phase, um, even masks sometimes with salicylic acid are good. And then, um, after ovulation, you hit the luteal phase, which are, you know, kind of the second half of week three and week four, if you're on a 28 day cycle and your progesterone and your testosterone start to increase at this point, and um, it can make you more prone to breakouts as well. So you can have more breakouts during this period of time. And I just kind of continue the exfoliation and drop down on on the moisturizer. So we hit it hard early with more moisturizer and then mid cycle to late cycle, we're focusing more on exfoliation And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it until you cycle again. So listen to your body. If you're more oily, you want to pull out salicylic acid and exfoliation and do some masks. And if you're more dry, you want to add more moisturizer, like jojoba. As far as oils, I really like that. Rose hip oil is great. If you have a little bit of brownish discoloration and, um, hyaluronic acid is always very nice as well. So those are the things I look for people who have melasma. Uh, which I struggle with. I don't know if you could see, I have like a pretty good patch on one of my cheeks and that's usually related to, um, higher levels of estrogen. So I often will do some, um, I'll talk about other things that may cause estrogen dominance and we'll mm. address that and help detoxification, of estrogen metabolites with a liver detox. I often find that's helpful. Huh. And okay. um, it goes away when you hit menopause. So <laughs> if you don't <laughs> do estrogen, so be happy, a little happy that you have it, you know, cause yeah. it means that you have the healthy levels of estrogen or a little bit higher, you know, which we can work with.
1: Yeah. And uh, you know, obviously this is kind of out of the scope of our conversation today, but if you're on hormone therapy, you know, obviously that's going to play a role too in how your skin looks and as well as your you know general overall health and and actually what your cycle looks like as well so yeah
0: it it sometimes it's um birth control pills are used to help control acne and it does for that mid cycle sometimes it makes it worse especially with the um ex, you know the non bioidentical progesterone those progestins can absolutely make acne worse and what i see the worst acne with is patients who have IUDs implanted with hormones in them, because what happens is the hormones build up. So the first year they don't have problems. The second, third, fourth years are nightmares because all of the extra, I hate to use the word abnormal, but they're not natural hormones that your body would make. They're pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. hormones, typically from mare urine, horse urine, and um, they build up basically in The fat stores of the body, and they get worse and worse over time. So often, when people are losing a significant amount of weight, they'll start breaking out like crazy, like purging. Almost is what you want to call it, because the fat stores are releasing all the toxins, and you know all the metabolic byproducts basically into the bloodstream, and it's causing this purging through the skin. So just ride through it because it'll 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 pay off.
1: Yeah, no, that's um that's a really great point, and uh, you're, I mean. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I hate birth control. I would never, never recommend it. Um, For the, for the most part, you know, I, I know everybody, you know, has their own opinion on things, but um, just the damage that I've seen that it's done for a lot of people, because normally mm-hmm. it's, it's prescribed for the wrong reasons um, very often. Yeah, and, I um, agree. You know, I, it's just I, what it I is. I think it's
0: like one step below proton pump inhibitors as far as what I fathom. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I'm just very pro, you know, figure out your body and listen to it. And, you know, if you want to avoid getting pregnant, then again, learn how your body works because it gives you very clear signals of when it's time and when it's not time um, to have sex, to have a baby. So
0: if you're done having children, vasectomy is the most, is the best birth control.
1: There you go. It's
0: safer, you know, relatively, you know. Not too uncomfortable for the man.
1: I'm glad you brought up the detox thing. You know, like it's so crazy to me how the body knows when your your body is flooded with toxins and it envelops it in fat and holds on to it. And and, and it's a, people don't realize a lot of times that's why you're gaining weight is not because you're eating poorly or because you're not exercising enough. That um, it's more because for some reason, whether it's your environment or what what you're ingesting, um, whether it's food or drugs, your body perceives as a toxin, and it tries to protect your vital organs from these toxins by wrapping them in fat. And so when you have a quick weight loss, um, that's what happens is all of a sudden you you're letting these toxins free again. And like you said, Jen, they, they, they come out everywhere, you know, through um, the urine, through the skin, um, you breathe out some of them, which is, you know, why some people have end up having really bad breath or BO you sweat it out. You know, it's, it comes, your body has all these different mechanisms of getting, getting getting rid of these toxins and and the skin is a major one. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, the skin's amazing. I love the skin because it tells you what's going on inside the body. So it's a, it's an organ, just like all the other organs. We talk about this all the time and it's reflecting what's going on in every single organ. And it basically it's main rule. I mean, it's main job. It's main role is to keep out uh, infectious organisms and toxins and keep in moisture. And um, that's why, people who are burned, they die from infection or dehydration because you just can't keep enough hydration in the body to, um, circulate, you know, in the system. And you are prone to so many different diseases out there if you don't have a good skin barrier. So the skin is just hmm, pretty amazing.
1: Yep, it is pretty amazing. Well, Dr. Jen, um, thank you so much for, uh, your collaborative talk today with me. I really appreciate it. For those of, uh, you and my audience who are not familiar with Dr. Jen, um, Dr. Jen, can you give people an idea of how to reach you, where to follow you?
0: Sure, sure. Um, on Instagram, I'm Dr. Jen Haley, D R J E N H A L E Y, and then you've been on my podcast. Uh, It's called Radiance Revealed and it's on all the platforms. And then I'm licensed in, um, 20 States. I will be licensed in Pennsylvania soon actually. Oh, really? And Yay. yeah. And I work on a platform called dermatologist on call just doing telemedicine. So it works really well for acne. It doesn't obviously work well for skin cancer. Um, and that's, that's really it. So
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jen. It's always
0: so fun to talk to you. I feel like we could talk for hours, you know?
1: I know. I know. I just want to be respectful of your time today. I know you have a lot going on. So, Um, all right. Great. Well, thanks everyone. Bye-bye. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while now, you know that autobiology means you learning about you. Yeah. We talk about biology in general, But at the end of the day, it's how does this apply to you? How is this going to help you live a longer, healthier life? Well, I can't think of a better way to do that than to have a personalized 360 report from the DNA company. The 360 report from the DNA company is different because it focuses on things that you really want to know, not whether or not you're more prone to bunions. Instead, it tells you where the gaps are in your biology, where you need to support yourself and what your strengths are as well. And a little fun stuff too, like where your personality comes from. To get your $50 off a 360 report from The DNA Company, go to thednacompany.com forward slash Jennifer. That's thednacompany.com forward slash Jennifer for your $50 off.
0: This podcast is for information purposes only. Any of the discussions or products held herein are not in any way offered as prescription, diagnosis, nor treatment for any disease, illness, infirmity, or physical condition. Any form of self-treatment or alternative health program necessarily must involve an individual's acceptance of some risk, and no one should assume otherwise. Persons needing medical care should obtain it from a physician. Consult your doctor before making any health decision. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. The podcast host may have direct or indirect financial gains from products discussed on this podcast.